0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics for today's show on the art and craft of landing your next job. Whether we're looking for a chance to move into a new field, or simply move back into the workforce after time away, the process of getting a new job can be downright daunting. For many of us, simply figuring out what on earth we want to do next is its own challenge. And then, once we know where we want to aim, the work of hunting for and landing a job is not just time-consuming, but often really frustrating. So today, we're bringing you an expert on all these things, the practical and emotional aspects of how we figure out how to go where we want to go next, and that is Dr. Don, that fantastic host of Career Talk, right here on Business Radio, who's in the studio with me today. Don,
1: thank you for Hi, joining Laura. us. I'm super excited to be here.
0: We are too. So, but for some new listeners, I want to tell them a little bit about who you are. Um, and while I explain that, guys, call in. Our phones are open. We're at one eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And And as you hear what I describe about Don, you'll realize there is no better person to call with your questions, to get advice, and to figure out, how do I do this? What do I do next? questions big or small. So Dawn is the host of Career Talk here on Sirius XM 111 and director of career management for the Wharton School's Executive MBA program. Dawn works with business executives, most of whom are actually changing careers at the prime of their professional lives while vying for some of the world's most competitive jobs, and they get them. She's a licensed psychologist with years of experience in executive coaching and corporate talent management. And this deep expertise is evident also in her articles on Forbes and in her first book, which is going to be in stores this summer, right? June 21st. Called Switchers, the Smart Professionals Guide to Changing Careers and Seizing Success. So Dawn, really thrilled to have you here. I want to start at the very beginning. When we decide we're not happy where we are, or we want more, What's the first thing we should be doing? Mm -hmm.
1: So, I mean, figuring that out sometimes takes a little time. I mean, sometimes you just have a bad day at work. Sometimes you just have, you know, a boss who's driving you crazy. So, I mean, I think it's really important to first decide, is this fixable where I am? Is there something I can do where I am and maybe add to my job or expand my job or, you know, look at different ways I can talk to leadership and, and really kind of find something that works for me? But You know, for many, that's not possible and that's not an option, which is why they say, "Okay, now I know it's time to switch. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people do when they they make that decision to switch is they they start to say, "Okay, I'm running from instead of running to.
0: That's that's a key point, Mm -hmm. because I know actually two of the closest people in my lives are lawyers. Quite competent, quite successful, but they hate what they do. But they're not – they want to leave it, but they don't know where to go to next.
1: It's so funny you say that because when I was in private practice, like, probably over 50% of my clients were lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the exact thing. It's like I – do not want to even deal with billable hours anymore, but I have no idea what I want to do. And and so I think it's really important to slow down and say, okay, I've made this realization, now I need to do some evaluation, some self-exploration so I can figure out where I want to go. And there's obviously a number of ways that can be done, but I think that has to be the first step because as somebody who's recruited and hired people, you can smell that a mile away when somebody's running from a situation versus excited to be coming to your company so or your job. So it's not
0: just a strategic challenge because how do you know where to aim? How do you know what to do if you mm-hmm. don't know where you're aiming? Exactly. But it can also be a competitive disadvantage. Exactly. Well said. Okay. Because it'll look like you're running away from a problem that maybe you, you might have caused or should have fixed rather than being impactful in a new way in your life.
1: Exactly. And you know a lot of people call in or you know if we go back to the lawyer example, people say that you know what can I do with my my lawyer skills? And you know I think that limits people because career trajectories have changed so much over the past decade that people are switching careers now fairly easily in terms of, you know, not being such a big head scratcher. Like, why would you go to law school and then decide you want to start your own business or you want to, you know, go into supply chain? I mean, more and more people are doing it. So it's not the taboo that it, that it might have once been or the impossibility that it might have once been. But there are ways you can do it and there are ways that you will get stuck.
0: So one of the things that um, comes up for women particularly when we talk about this is that we find that women are more likely than men to not have the confidence that they need to there's Mm -hmm. a risk involved Mm -hmm. in this and there's a certain amount of courage that you need and it seems like women are more inclined to say i haven't done that before i don't know if i can do that thing Mm -hmm. what advice do you have for us to figure out um, how do we match up what we can do with what we want to do
1: mm-hmm. yep and I say there, there's no greater force than, than a woman who knows what she wants so <laughs> so you want to figure out what you want so instead of instead of looking at my past and saying what can I do with my past I think one if you've not been in a job search or you've not even thought about a different career for for several years you have to figure out what's out there because jobs change so rapidly I mean you think 10 years ago I mean SEO that wasn't even a job and right. you know for for the students who are graduating today from college, they're going to be retiring from jobs that don't even exist. So I think you have to get out there and talk to people. And one of the easiest things to do is to talk to people you know, because oftentimes people can't even explain in depth what their their best friends do, or sometimes even their spouse. They might know they work at a certain company or they have a certain title, but what do they actually do day to day? So I think one of the, the easiest experiments to just do first is to Look at your list of friends and say, you know, I want to do, a, you know, we're going to go to coffee, but this time we're really going to talk about what you do day to day. That's
0: really an amazing suggestion for a couple of reasons. So one is that you're going to learn so much by asking that question. But also so many women are uncomfortable networking because it seems very almost crass to some women. Mm-hmm. And instead
1: to say, I'm not here to ask anything of you. I just want to learn what you do. And aren't, wouldn't we feel great to be asked that, that somebody actually wants to know what do we do day to day and what is it like and what surprises us? I mean, we don't often get to talk about those things.
0: It's true. And also, as I realized, where some members of my family were like, Laura, we know you go to Wharton every day and we know there are these things that happen, but we don't know what it means to be the executive director of Wharton People Analytics. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized, like, they're almost embarrassed to ask me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and never mind if it will help them learn something.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the equivalent of seeing somebody a couple of times and you forgot their name. There comes a point in time where you're like, well, it's too embarrassing to ask at this point. But that's that's just it. And here's the reason that you're shooting yourself in the foot if you do that, because... These are the individuals who want to see you succeed. They care about you. They want to see you land in a career that you love and inspires you. But if they don't know what you do, they can't be out there being ambassadors for you. So, so on, the, on the one hand, they might be too embarrassed to ask. And on the other hand, they're not out there helping you. And
0: as you, I think you're suggesting by saying these people are your ambassadors, mm-hmm. is well, you're turning to them first to learn. Mm-hmm. And because they're people you know, it's nice to spend some time with them. But you can really learn from them. They will become your ambassadors.
1: They will just through the conversation as you start to you know have the discussion. You, you'll start to say, "Wow, that sounds really interesting." How did you learn to do that? And you know that exchange, they'll walk away understanding better what you do and what you want to do. I, I think another thing you can do is look at your job now, and maybe you're ready for a complete change. But what is it? What is that five percent, even ten percent, that you love to do that? Usually that it's not 100% of the job that you hate. It might be you love working to solve the impossible puzzle. It might be you love your clients. It might be you love working as part of a, a smart collaborative team or, you know, you always like to be up against a deadline. There are certain aspects of your job that you would probably want to take with you. And I think those are a really good place to start when you're thinking about what do I want to do next.
0: What about people who are out of the workforce and mm-hmm. have been out of the workforce for a period of time? Mm-hmm.
1: And I think this is a place where you want to engage the people who are around you and start talking to people who are in different careers and expand. And I think everybody you talk to, one of the things you can do is ask them, you know, who would you recommend I speak to next? You know, who can I talk to next? And you kind of create a chain reaction. So you kind of create an experiment for yourself because definitely as a parent, if, if you needed to find something out for your child, you would find it out. Yeah. I mean, you, you would do whatever you need to do to find that out. And so I think you have to create an experiment and look at it in a similar way and say, you know, my goal is to figure out what's out there and then decide which of those careers is a good one for my next step and how am I going to do that and you create an experiment you say I'm going to talk to these people I'm going to each person I talk to I'm going to get to the next person and then I'm going to get to the next person
0: I love how you put it because what you're teaching us is to advocate for ourselves like we would advocate for our kids Mm -hmm. and not be afraid to go out there and get it by the way you're listening to women at work on business radio powered by the Wharton school on Sirius XM channel 111 I'm your host Laura Zarrow my guest is is the amazing Dr. Don Graham, Director of Career Management for the Wharton School's Executive MBA Program and host of Career Talk. Um, our phones are open, one wharton That's 844-942-7866. Are you looking to change careers or have you been out of the workforce for a while? We'd love to know what's your reality and how can we help you? So give us a call. That's 1-844-WHARTON. And there's also Patty, my beloved Patty, in the booth. And you can send her an email and she'll share it with us. So you can write to us at at com, and, you know, we'll get your question on the air. So, Dawn, once we get to that point that we've started to stimulate our network Mm -hmm. and we're learning and we're getting a sense of where we want to aim – um, for people, especially those who've been out of the workforce or who went into the workforce right out of college and they're finding themselves in midlife unhappy the last time they looked for a job, it was on a classified section in a newspaper yes okay, so aside from the fact that most of us are not getting paper newspapers mm-hmm. where do you start looking for the opportunities?
1: Yeah, so I mean a lot of people talk about networking and i'm 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 going to repeat that that that's where the most information will come for your job sources. But I think one of the differences today, like one of the 2018 trends that is out there is that recruiters are looking for passive candidates and passive candidates are those individuals who are not looking, but have maybe a strong online presence on LinkedIn, for example, or they are well networked and their brand is out there. Maybe they have a personal web page. So I think there's two strategies to finding a job. One is looking at what's out there and you certainly can use the the job boards as a, a way to generate ideas what i know is that that's you know less than 30% of people actually are getting jobs that way and depending on how closely related your skills are to the job will impact that how high paying the job is will impact that but there's a lot what's of What's the factors.
0: relationship between that
1: So yeah so basically the research shows that if you're looking for jobs over 60,000 the success goes down online
0: of just a blind application into you know an open call for resumes. yes
1: so i mean and that's not to say you you strike that strategy off your list altogether but what it is saying is that you create a strategy where you spend less than 30 percent of your time applying online because we also know there are things called applicant tracking systems where the stats for this are pretty staggering that that 75% 75% of resumes don't even see a recruiter's eyes because these systems knock you out and it could not be just because your skills aren't right it could be because your formatting's not right or your resume came in after they shut it down and here you are wondering am i qualified did they are going to call me and you know you just don't know so i think it's kind of a black hole so sure use it as a strategy but not your core strategy so um, so networking, obviously, this is another one that you'll be creating ambassadors and we could talk in, in more depth about this. But I want to pop back to the passive candidate because, you know, I just wrote an article for Forbes and, and I started out a little harsh. But I, I did that on purpose because I started <laughs> out with that. If you're not online as a job seeker, you might as well not even exist. OK, that's it's strong. It's, it's, strong. it's strong and real. It's strong and real. I mean, there's a lot of stats out there too that talk about the fact that thirty five percent of recruiters admitted that if they can't find an online presence, they won't invite you in for an interview. I mean they right, don't know
0: who you are. Right. Right, it's wrong so or funny. not. It's just the way it is. Because there was a period there's a portion of our lives where we have to look at online presences and question them and mm-hmm. say, Is that real? But the flip side of this is if you don't exist online and I'd say th- I'm guessing particularly on LinkedIn.
1: For for the job seeker, yes.
0: You don't exist,
1: yes, I mean LinkedIn is the number one platform, and you know over ninety percent of recruiters and employers are using it, but Facebook and Twitter are quickly coming up behind, and it's it's a two way street. It's not just for you know getting to know candidates, but the companies are posting on here. they're posting opportunities, they're posting that they're growing, they're posting that they're expanding. they're posting the information that you need as a job seeker to get in front of the job ads, to network, to get to the right people. And if you're not connected, you're missing out on that. So talk to me about how we should think
0: about LinkedIn. Well, first of all, how should we use what should the relationship be between Facebook and LinkedIn for us? Mm-hmm.
1: So here's the thing. I'll, I'll admit I'm not big of, on social media in general. I mean, if, if I'd, I'd love to go back to a world where there used to be classifieds, so it's just that's just me. But we can't. <laughs> and, I, and I think what I always tell job seekers, if if that's you, that you have to deal not in what's fair, but what's in re- what's real. If you want to play ball, you got to be in the game. So here's what I would say: is that you don't need to be an expert on all the different apps du jour and you don't need a lesson from your teenager on how to, how to like, figure out how do I do this Instagram thing. But what I would say is that, you know, at a minimum, follow the companies that you're interested in or follow the industry blurbs that you're interested in and set up a Google alert. It's very easy. Just, you know, type it in Google and set up an alert or follow them on Facebook or follow them on Twitter or LinkedIn so that that information is constantly getting fed to you, particularly if you're in a job search or if you've stepped away from To take care of family or so. Let's say
0: I'm one of my beloved lawyer friends, Mm -hmm. and they're interested in going to work in a social impact Mm not-for-profit. They could put the things that they're looking for, like social impact not-for-profit, maybe human services, into a Google alert, so they could see when things would come up.
1: Yep, and you can you can decide how often you want that information—daily, weekly—and it's getting fed to you. But you also, I think, need to, in addition to kind of getting this information, you do need to have an online profile that represents who you are today, not who you were five years ago. (laughs) So a lot of people slap up a LinkedIn profile, and they don't pay attention to it for, for months, years. And this is noticeable. I will tell you, as somebody who who has hired, who does hire, it is very noticeable that you have an untended to LinkedIn profile. And there's a couple of easy things I look for. One, if you have fewer than 500 connections, and I know that sounds um, you know rather specific, and it is, but if you have fewer than 500 connections, I look at you as untended. If you have a headline that that's not personalized, and that headline's right under your name that really shares your brand, if if you have updated, anything, you know, if your job is is not updated, things like that, it looks very untended to. So people say, Okay, you slap this up, but you're not really engaging.
0: Um, so what about Facebook, which is a place where a lot of people naturally engage? Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think a lot of people who are have stepped out of the workforce are heavily engaged in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that moms in particular. Um, it may have robust activity, but none of it's professional. And some of it may not be things that right. you want people to see in a professional context. Right. What do you do about that? And,
1: and I think that's important because, you know, one of the things that, that I tell people all the time is because the world has has You know, gotten so small, everybody's connected to everybody. So even if you have a private profile, chances are somebody in that employer that maybe you're looking to go to know somebody who can get access to your profile. So if you're if you're a mom and you've stepped out of the workforce and you're, you know, posting pictures, you think about that. Think about, you know, what might have been a hilarious moment in your life that you shared with your friends. An employer might see that. And I think if you're ready to reengage and get back in the to the workforce, you may decide that you're gonna do a cleanup of your your Facebook. I've actually done that when I <laughs> when I applied to work and I, I could share a personal story. I, I um I really like Halloween, so I had some interesting Halloween pictures up there. But I thought, wow, what is Wharton going to think about this? So I was like, all right, got to take those down now. And, and you know what? And you
0: edited it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. Because I have had – I was very surprised. I always thought it was kind of sacred that Facebook was separate from LinkedIn. And then I found a lot of my professional colleagues were friending me. And I, I really didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I thought it's great. And other times I've actually bu- – been privy to things that I'm thinking, I really shouldn't see that. <laughs> or oh, I don't even want to see that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you have to think about it. But being on Facebook is a great networking tool because, you know, this is you have people on there who maybe you don't talk to or see every day, but who can also be ambassadors for you. So again, thinking about somebody on there who's a you know friend of a friend or maybe you've met once or things like that. I mean, these people can be ambassadors for you. So what they know about you on Facebook goes with them if they're your ambassadors. They Think
0: about how um, people solve problems on mm-hmm. Facebook, whether it's emergency relief or finding a babysitter or starting a social revolution. Exactly, um, It's one of the things that's so powerful there. So on LinkedIn, there's another dynamic that mm-hmm. um, I have to say I've been like – Trying to make friends with and understand, um, which is getting connection invitations from strangers, yes. and should you send those out?
1: Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, this is interesting because LinkedIn has really shifted. So when they started back in May of two thousand five, it was very much kind of your your online Rolodex where you you know only connected with people you knew and and you were willing to refer that person, basically. That was kind of the rules of engagement. If I connect with you, then we can refer each other. And then these things called lines came out, which were LinkedIn open networkers, where everybody connected with everybody. And you know it was kind of a numbers game. And now it's moved into much more of a marketing tool because people are using it to blog and promote their business and promote their brand. So if you look at the evolution of LinkedIn, I still think it maintains the spirit of the fact of networking, but there's so many other uses for it than there used to be. My rule of thumb personally, and I think everybody should have their own personal rule of thumb, is that if I've interacted with you, and it could be that you were you called into my radio show, it could be you were a student in my classroom, or it could be that I met you at a conference or we are at the same conference or we have a shared connection and there's a reason for us to be connected, I usually accept, which is why I say do the personal, take two seconds and write the personal invitation to say, hey, Laura, you know, I I listened to your show on Women at Work on Sirius XM. I love it. You know, let's connect.
0: I have to tell you, aside from the fact that I just love it when I hear from people like that, you know, we all like to hear that you're out there um, and know that it matters to you. When I've gotten requests or I've heard, like, I learned this, or can you point me in the direction of somebody who can teach me that? I'm so happy to help. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. Taking a few minutes to say, this is why I'm writing. This is the context in which I come to you. And this is what I want to do with it. I'm, I'm happy to accept. And, you know, hopefully it's sparked a few more ripples of impact in mm-hmm. the world. Exactly. So, um I think this is going to be helpful. Julie wrote in from Cinnamonson, who's one of our favorite listeners. Hello, Julie. Thanks for writing. Um, Julie says she's been doing one type of job for years, but she really wants to leave the industry. She wants to start something new and she doesn't know how. Um, should she list the skills that she can take with her? She's heard you say that before. Mm-hmm. I think she listens to your show too. Um, and how can she get someone to meet with her if she's no experience in the industry? So I'd love it if you could help us answer Julie's question. In particular, is there a way LinkedIn can be helpful in this?
1: Yes. So um, a couple of things. So thank you, Julie, for your question. I mean, this is this is kind of what we deal with every day um, and there's a couple of key steps. So we talked about this earlier, but make sure you're running to versus running from. So I think the first step for anybody, whether you're looking to return from an absence or or you're looking to switch careers is to really get a solid what I call plan A. You need to know your target industry. You need to know your target function, the companies you want to work in, the geography you want to work in. Because if if you don't know those things, people are not going to take you seriously. I mean, imagine somebody comes up to you and says, I'll work anywhere, I'll do anything. You're not going to recommend that person. So when you go to your network, when you go for your interviews, you have to be rock solid. Confidence breeds confidence. That's what I always say.
0: <laughs> that should be our new mantra. <laughs>
1: It really does because, um... If you don't know, they're going to just assume this is a whim, especially if it's a big change. And then secondly, I think you have to boil down your skills to the the transferable ones. And we hear this t- term all the time, transferable skills. What does that really, you know, what does <laughs> yeah. that mean? And, you know, if, if we take the the lawyer example, for example, you know, I mean, you can negotiate, you can understand policy, you can um, talk to clients. I mean, you have a lot of skills that apply to a lot of different areas. So you need to, to boil those down and then figure out what's going to be most impressive to to your new employer. And then you have to put on the hat of the employer. And again, this, this goes for anybody, a career switcher, somebody returning to work. You have to think about what are they going to assume or be biased about or be worried about. Because let's just face it, if you were hiring somebody who had a non-traditional background, you'd have the same concerns and you have to allay those fears. So one of the best ways to do that is to get referred in through a network contact. Somebody who could say, "Hey, you know, Julie, you know, has worked as a lawyer and, you know, she's not done supply chain, but she's got these great skills that are applicable and she's very motivated and a quick learner. I think you should talk to her." So if you kind of can get somebody to So that's
0: where your ambassadors matter.
1: Ambassadors, exactly. Exactly. Get you, because that's going to open the door. If you think about it from a psychological perspective, if you're a career changer, my initial kind of assessment of you as a candidate is negative. You have to prove, like, you know, you have to overcome that negative bias. If my initial impression of you is positive because one of my great employees referred you, now you're coming in with that positive lens. So it's it's a completely different starting Look, place. The way
0: that I came to Wharton was through a colleague and friend mm-hmm. who said, To somebody here at Wharton, I know she comes from art schools, but this is who you want. Mm -hmm. And did the matchmaking, and I'm forever grateful. Yep.
1: And and you got to get somebody to open that door. This is one case where I'd say applying online is going to be fruitless for you because... You know, hires, that's not their day to day job. Their day to day job is whatever they do, accounting or, you know, (laughs) and and they they don't have the time nor nor skill set to look through your resume and pull out your transferable skills. So you're going to get eaten up by the applicant tracking system or just thrown out. So this is there are
0: a couple things that I think are really important in this. Um, and when we come back, I want to dive into them, which is, one, we've heard this from other people before. Think about the person who's reading it. What's their perspective? So um, to think about, A, what Do they consider the skills that they need, and how do you help them see that in your skills? Mm -hmm. And then the flip side of that, which is what are they going to be critical of Mm -hmm. on your resume and in your background that you need to help them see past? Exactly. And then understanding where the resume review process may be conducted by people who think who are broadly processing employee information for an organization and are not diving into the specifics of your talents and whether they're expressed and the nuances of how they may match with a role.
1: Right. And that's why the resume is such a, I, I call it a career killer in this pe- point because if you're switching, you get seven seconds, maybe eight seconds for me to say this is in and this is out. Um, if I'm, It's kind
0: of ghastly to realize the power that somebody has in seven seconds. It's
1: ridiculous. And a lot of times you're – I mean, I, I started recruiting when I was 21. Now, I'm a – yeah, I'm a 21-year-old looking at resumes and I don't know what to look for. <laughs> you know, so not. if I have a list of keywords and you don't have any of them, you're getting you're getting tossed, which is why in a switch or if you're returning to the workforce, I say resume comes second. And the networking has to come first.
0: Okay. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about all of this and more. Our phones are open, one wharton That's 844-942-7866. And you can call in even while we're on break. So give us a ring. Stay with us. Dawn's here for the hour. Um, and we're looking forward to taking your calls and talking with her more. I'm Laura Zarrow. You're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. And by the way, you can follow us at Sirius. What is it, Patty? At Biz Radio. 111, right? Biz Radio 111. Why do I always get this wrong? <laughs> anyway, see, just a testimony how we need a team to support us and proofread us. Once again, I'm Laura Zarrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, and we'll be back. In the meantime, give us a call, one eight four four wharton We'll see you in a minute.
2: listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Laura Zaro.
0: Welcome back to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how to help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm the Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and I'm here today with the amazing Dr. Dawn Graham, and she's the host of Career Talk here on Business Radio, and also the Director of Career Management for the Wharton School's Executive MBA Program. Before the break, we were talking about um, the nitty-gritty of how do you figure out what you want to do? And how do you figure out how to get there when it's time to either shift jobs or re enter the workforce? We're taking your calls and your emails. You can reach us at 1 844 Wharton. That's one 844 942 And give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. How are you navigating LinkedIn these days? And what do you find frustrating? We've got the person here who can help you. So that's 1-844-WARTON, 844 942 You can also write to us at radio at SiriusXM.com, which Julie from Cinnaminson does all the time. And Patty will bring your messages into us. So give us a ring. Send us your messages. We'd love to talk about your issues here on Women at Work. So anyway, Dawn, welcome back. Thank you, Laura. So before the break, um, you were helping sort out a lot of the myths and confusion around LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And you also brought up a couple of really important points. And so I want to talk about LinkedIn, how we, because that is our new resume, right? It is. And while we talk about it, you had said something that we hear all the time, which is kind of like that sage comprehensive advice we've heard it from venture capitalists from marketers put yourself in somebody else's shoes yes and so you were saying in particular how do we put ourselves in an employer's shoes so that they can see our talents mm-hmm. how do we put ourselves in their shoes so that we can understand what they're looking for yes and how do we also understand the world in which their shoes walk which means the environment in which our linkedin profile may be read or our resumes may be read or not read. And so um, I want to get some questions about that stuff answered. But first, we have a call-in from Michael from Kentucky. So, Michael, thanks for listening to Women at Work. We're thrilled to have you here today. What's on your mind?
2: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Well, I, over the years, have built a highly technical, professional uh, resume, and it's about 10 pages long. I had always been concerned if HR personnel are using – uh, a good system for keyword tracking. If I applied to some opening, um, I wondered if if it's a technical person that should be entering the information for this tracker software, or do they just not work well for the technical industry? I'll take your response off the air.
1: Right. So, so Michael, I think you're you're talking about your resume, but then you started talking about the the. Um, applicant tracking systems and sort of how they're programmed. So, so a couple of things I'm just going to touch on with the resume since you, you've you brought it up. I mean, one of the things, if you're in the world of business, one of the things that, that's that been pretty clear is that that hires don't want to see a resume that's more than two pages. And in part, what we've gone to, if you think about kind of social media and everything, we've sort of gone to this Twitter world where it's like you need to be able to summarize your key accomplishments and what you can do within one to two pages. So, you know, having more, having more pages, more words doesn't really kind of flip you up to the top in terms of having more keywords in the applicant tracking system. So, in terms of how they're programmed, I think this is one of the interesting things that if you read about this online, you're seeing today is that. You know this is supposed to be a smart software, but because people are programming it, we you know we program our own biases and assumptions into it. So there's a couple of reasons why you may get tossed out that may have nothing to do with your keywords or your experience. Um, some are, for example, only able to read PDF files. So if you send your your file in a Word document, that might automatically knock you out. Now it's really hard for you as a candidate to know that unless they put that in the job description. You know others they have certain sections, so maybe they have a profile section and then experience and then, you know, different things. So they kind of scan your resume looking for those things, but you don't have your resume in that format, for example. And so the wrong information ends up in the wrong place. And maybe at the end of the day when they're looking at it, they assume, wow, you don't have the college degree that we we're looking for because your college degree got kind of weeded out when it was put through the system. So there's a lot of things that can that can hinder that process, which is why one of, one of uh, the things we recommend to our students or to our clients is that if you're going to send a resume through an online application system – Absolutely find somebody in that company, be it, you know, somebody, you know, or, you know, some contact who can shepherd it through the process to make sure that either the hiring manager and the hiring manager's best, or at least at a minimum, HR gets that resume and lays eyes on it, because then you at least have a fair shot versus getting stuck in system limbo.
0: Um, Michael, and one other thing I'd like to point out to add to that is um, When you're using your document to present everything you've ever done, that may be traditional when it's a curriculum vitae in an academic setting when you're going for a scholarly position. And so, one of the things that I see happen often is that people mix up the terms resume and CV. Don, is that a fair thing to that say? That's very
1: fair, yes. Because in academia, the longer the
0: better, <laughs> <laughs> right? But there, but it's very, um, it's got a very formal protocol about what's presented and how it's presented. That includes sc- publications, teaching, research. Um, uh, Consulting opportunities, it's not the same thing as a resume. So, one of the things that would be good is to make sure that depending on the context in which you're working, you're acutely mindful of which is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever seeking an academic role and they specifically say CV, then it's a CV. So, Michael, I hope that's helpful. Thank you for listening and calling in.
2: Good luck, Michael.
0: Um, by the way, if you'd like to join us and get some excellent advice from Dawn, you can reach us at one wharton That's 844-942-7866. So now I want to go back to this question mm-hmm. of how we convert our resumes to the world of LinkedIn. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, a, a couple of things. So we do still need a resume. There's been lots of talk how, how – videos and all these other things are going to replace resumes they haven't so we still need a resume but linkedin is is kind of your social presence and for your linkedin you need to communicate what you offer to a company. I mean, and that really needs to be the key message. Anybody who's looking at that, whether you you have your own business or you're looking for a job or you're returning to the workforce, they need to easily be able to look at your LinkedIn and, and see the value that you bring to the table. So there's a couple of key things you want. You definitely want a a great headshot. Now, it doesn't have to be the Sears blue background. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I don't think it should because I think those are a little bit distancing. And You have to almost think this is your first time meeting somebody, so your picture should just be – You know, not casual to the point of you're at a party, but it could be something as easy as a blank background and somebody takes a nice headshot of you, and that's expected. And make sure it's visible because there's a lot of research on there that having a headshot is increases your likelihood of getting contacted by 14 times, and that number keeps going up. So that's one. Two, you want to make sure that your headline, which is that line right under your name is very descriptive of what you want to do. So, for example, if you're like Julie and trying to switch careers, you want to make it aspirational in nature. So putting what you used to do is not going to make a lot of sense. So you want to maybe pull up those transferable skills that are most useful in your new role that you're pursuing, for example, to kind of show what you can do.
0: When you're crafting that language... Mm -hmm. So let's use me for an example. Okay. I noticed as I... I look at a lot of LinkedIn profiles. One of the things I've done in my roles for years is bring people in to speak at conferences, Mm -hmm. constantly sourcing new speakers, never mind searches for positions. And I've seen everything ranging from industry support specific, kind of alienating language that I, because I'm not in the industry, I don't really, or even within the industry, within the job description, maybe like Michael's, don't understand, or things that are so playful and almost flip that they seem sillier and inappropriate for LinkedIn, or it makes me feel old. And then I think about myself. Is it that I'm um, a strategic educator and innovator, or is it that I make new ideas real? Or is the answer somewhere in the middle? Mm-hmm. How do we phrase this?
1: Yeah, this is such a good question, Laura, and I'm so glad you brought it up because um, what I neglected to say in the beginning is you have to first think about who's your audience. And that has to be the basis of every job search. Once you kind of come up with your plan A, you have to think, who is my audience? And that could be your network. That could be the interviewer. That could be the employer. so Or a headhunter. Or a headhunter. So it has to be language that's understandable by your audience and captures your audience. So if in Michael's case, he's very technical, if he is looking for a very highly technical job, then he needs to think what would a headhunter look for? What would a recruiter look for? Because I want those those words in my headline. Now, if you're looking to do more speaking engagements, I mean, you want it to be specific to the topic you speak about and think about always be thinking about what would somebody search for? What would I search for if I was looking for? or somebody like me.
0: Okay, or if I, or one of the things maybe to do with our ambassadors. If I said, "Don, if you were looking for me, how would you describe me?"
1: Exactly. I think getting feedback from your network is something so few people do, but especially if you're looking to make a career switch, or if you're returning to the workforce, one of the best things you can do, and I know it takes a little courage, but <laughs> I, I think everybody should do this exercise, even if you're not in one of those pools, but send an email to 10 people. So maybe a couple of, of work colleagues or former work colleagues, some people in your family, maybe some friends and say, you know, what are what are um, three of my greatest strengths? And what is one thing I can improve? Because you will get emails back. And some of those things on those lists are going to be complete surprises that are going to start great conversations with these individuals that, one, help you network, two, help you figure out what you want to do, and three, create ambassadors.
0: It's so interesting you say that. I actually was a Wharton student who came to me. She was in a class where there was an exercise of getting, um, reaching out to a number of people. I think she reached out to about 25 people to say with a little two-word survey, a two-question survey, Mm -hmm. what are four adjectives that you would describe me that are positive, and what are four things I'm not. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing what came back in. And we went over it together and she saw herself in a new light and found different um, phrases, ways of communicating yes. about herself to that could also help brand her because she's a brilliant, complex, young, capable young woman. And what was interesting is you could almost make maps mm-hmm. of words that go together depending on where she wanted to position mm-hmm. herself. It was really interesting.
1: And, and for most people, it's like a huge ego boost because you start seeing parts of yourself that you never realized you were good at and where people are seeing this and you get this information. So, yeah, I do it. Do it and poke people if they don't get back to you. Yeah, I,
0: and it's not a nuisance to ask them. By the way, you're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School here on Sirius XM, Channel 111. I am your host, Laura Sarrow, and my guest is the amazing Dr. Don Graham, Director of Career Management for the Wharton School's Executive MBA Program, and is probably, as many of you probably know, host of Career Talk, heard here on Business Radio, live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. So if you've got a question about something we're talking about, you want to get Dawn's amazing advice on everything from LinkedIn to your resume, to the interview to negotiating, you can give us a call at one 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. Okay, so now I also want to mention something that you said in the beginning of the show, which was that if we set up these Google searches mm-hmm. that pull information up online for us of postings that are out there or even articles that are industry-specific, those also may be great sources for ways to talk about a given role, Right
1: great sources great sources i mean this is going to get you back especially if you've been out of the game or it's not your industry this is going to give you the language you need it's going to bring you information but i think most importantly what you have to do is you kind of have to read into everything that's going on if you see a company's merging or an industry's going through policy changes or there's a, a new product line i mean every piece of information that's going on in the business world is a hint at what's going to happen with the job market in that area and so if you are reading that and your ambassadors know what you want to do and what you're good at and they're reading that and can bring that back to you, you get ahead of the job ads and you can get to those jobs before they're even posted.
0: Also, I'd like to make a plug here for the role that reading plays as a form of lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to take a course. Go to a class, attend a seminar, really by reading the newspapers, important business journals, magazines, Fortune, Inc., Forbes. These are amazing resources for you that can help you plug into what's going on, not to mention conversation starters with your friends and network and ambassadors mm-hmm. about you know they work in this field. Tell yes. me more about this. Yes.
1: And I also think thinking outside the box, like thinking about, I mean, the world of work has changed. So we now have portfolio careers and gigs and, you know, part-time roles. And, and there's all of these other ways to get into the job. Force. Self-created internships. You don't have to look for an internship. You can go to a company. I mean, think about your family, friends, neighbors. You know, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this work for you for free because I really want to learn about the PR function or I really want to learn about what it's like and human resources, and you can reach out to people and create these things, you don't have to wait for it. You don't have to look online. I mean, this is something that you can do anytime.
0: I have to tell you, if any one of the brilliant, talented, capable women I know who stepped out of the workforce for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. especially to raise their kids, said to me, you know what? I want to get my hands dirty again. Mm-hmm. I want to do some website development. I want to do some social media marketing. I would so love to have them. like what a
1: gift. Yes. Yes. And we uh, whether you're a career switcher or somebody returning the workforce, we, we, we just are programmed to think full time job, apply, get the job, but no more. I mean, you don't have to do that anymore. You're not bound by that. That's sure, one option. But you can create these these opportunities for yourself. And yeah, get your get your experience and Everything on um, is experience paid for or not paid for. And these can build your LinkedIn profiles, your resumes. So I mean you don't have to get a paycheck for that experience to be on your resume.
0: How so one of the things that we know a lot of um, women in particular have done is they volunteer mm-hmm. when they're not working. It's yes. a way of engaging in their community, it's a way of keeping their skills alive. For many, it keeps their brain working mm-hmm. and takes that formidable intelligence and puts it to use somewhere. Um, and then we also see that that's also a viable way yes. to build a network and build skills and get exposed to things. Talk to me about how do you shift from volunteering into an internship as an adult?
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'll, again, for some of these things, there's not a process. There's a lot of more companies doing these types of things, for kind of return ships, and even organizations that have these types of programs. I mean, Apple, Coursera, IBM, JP Morgan Chase, a lot of these companies actually do have these kind of internships. Internships for adults who are returning to the workforce. Do they call
0: it, them returnships? Sometimes they're
1: actually. I think one company has the the kind of patent on that. So <laughs> so I'm trying not to. Yeah, they they call them a lot of things similar to that. But um, yeah, so you can find these through your network, so you can find them online. But again, you don't have to wait for those. There's a growing, but they're they're still very competitive. But if you're a volunteer, I mean, think about strategically volunteering in an area that will close a skill gap for you. Or if you know you don't want to do what you used to do before you left the workforce, think about what you do want to do and find a volunteer role that helps you build that skill set. So be strategic about it. And,
0: and also, not unlike the way we advise our students to take Internships. Explore this. Mm-hmm. See if you like this environment, like this work. It's the same thing for you too. Yeah, because you may hate it. <laughs> um, by the way, we have a caller, Brian from Florida, is calling in. Brian, thanks so much for listening to Women at Work. What's on your mind? Sure. I had
2: a quick question. I heard you talking about the LinkedIn account. Uh, I'm in the medical field, <clears throat> an executive in the medical field, and I don't use social media. I did a long time ago do a LinkedIn account. I just want to know what you thought about that. I haven't updated. I heard you talking about people updating it. Um, not that I'm looking for a new position, but I don't really subscribe to all the social media. Maybe it's just my age, but I just don't, yeah. don't feel I really need it. I feel, but so I, I don't know how you guys feel about that.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting, Brian, and we're we're kind of talking about job seekers. But here's the thing: I would say about LinkedIn is that are you in a job? You said you're not looking for a job, right?
2: Well, I mean, I'm in. I, I'm in a. Uh, administrative role in uh, the medical field. I guess we're always all looking. Um, right answer.
1: Looking. Right answer. Yeah, here's the thing, Brian. <laughs> I- I'll just tell you a quick personal story. I used to be with Arthur Anderson, and then Enron happened. So I thought I'd be with Arthur Anderson for the rest of my life, um, Lots of positive things have happened since then, but I'm just saying that you never know. And what you don't want to do is start the process of of networking and branding and all that stuff when you're in that desperate situation and you need it. So, yeah, I would say you don't need to go in every day and and blog and and (laughs) create websites, but I'd say at a very minimum, start building up your network because you want to build it before you need it.
2: I, I understand. Okay, that makes good sense. I thank hope that's
1: helpful, Brian, and thank you for calling.
0: If you have more questions for Dawn, give us a ring. You can reach us at 1 844 Wharton. That's 844 942 7866. Also, to kind of reinforce what you were saying, what I found is because I've had, I'm, I feel very fortunate that. I've basically worked at you know three institutions, two of them for the majority of my adult lives. I love the work that I do. Yet I find that my LinkedIn presence brings surprising experiences, yes. opportunities to extend impact, opportunities to connect with other people. Sometimes it's not necessarily about changing my job, but it may be to participate in a conference, mm-hmm. to give somebody advice about something. Um, somebody may be looking for work within – Wharton People Analytics or here at Wharton and they're yeah. finding me to try and bring talent to my organization and that's the that's like being listed in the yellow pages.
1: And that's a really interesting point. So for Brian who just called, I mean he he said he's not looking for a job and he didn't mention his age but he, he kind of alluded to you know, you might be, Brian, a great mentor for somebody so if, if you know, they can find you online and they can they can spend 15 minutes asking you about your career and how you got where you were, I mean that could be so valuable.
0: Yes, and never mind if you are actually conducting Searches, LinkedIn I think can be an enormous resource for bringing talent to your organization.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, a lot of companies are asking their employees to get on LinkedIn to represent them. And that's that's a whole nother show. But
0: <laughs> so a few more details on both, and this is something with LinkedIn and with our resumes. How much information do we share? What should we be keeping
1: off? Mm-hmm. Like, so, is my
0: year of high school, college, or graduate school, graduate, like, should I put the dates of anything no, on there?
1: No, I'm going to say that. Yeah, no. Um, here's the thing. So everything's getting shorter, smaller, more condensed, Twitter-like. And what you want is is you want everything on your, your resume or your LinkedIn to communicate to that audience you've defined, which means that a lot of people are going to be taking stuff off. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do when you have great accomplishments, but if you're looking to switch careers or you've been out of the workforce for a number of years, some of that isn't relevant and it's unfortunately going to take somebody down the wrong path or be viewed negatively. So everything on here, I always say you don't want the, the great stuff to get lost in the good stuff. That's so- a
0: that's a beautiful <laughs> nugget. By the way, Lisa's calling in from Florida. Lisa, thank you for listening to Women at Work. What's on your mind today?
2: Thank you. Um, I'm sort of new to LinkedIn and I'm more in the creative field. I'm a photographer and I phonographer, I do cell phone photography and artwork. Anyway, I wanted to know LinkedIn is that more for advertising or for business what what is it specialized in? So Am it actually- I in the wrong
1: thing. Yeah, it does both, actually. So you can have a personal page and you can have a professional page for your business. But if you're in a more creative field, this is where you're mm-hmm. going to kind of spread out and you're probably going to want to look at Instagram as you know something where you can showcase your work. LinkedIn allows you to do that a little bit. But I think if that's your primary field, you might want to look at some of the other apps that that allow you to do that. Also a website. But here's why I would say LinkedIn is still important for you. Because regardless mm-hmm. of what your business is, people want to know the individual behind the business so Mm -hmm. when you're going to do business with somebody whether it's photography or or construction or landscaping people just want to know who you are nowadays and so Mm -hmm. having a LinkedIn profile maybe you have a personal one and and you put some of your artwork on there and you decide to use a website or Instagram or one of the other you know more visual apps for for advertising your work but people really do want to know who you are
0: yes and well so
2: interestingly enough so I do have an Instagram account and at one point, and I, I also do jewelry, um, custom jewelry. Anyway, that's a, a different topic. <laughs> but anyway, for when you're an artist, you do a lot of things. But anyway, the so I'm at the point where I'm on Instagram. At one point, I had about 3,000 followers. And then Instagram rerouted. And then now I'm down to barely 575 followers it goes up and down and i and i do hashtag and i try to do posts regularly and i'm trying to do the right thing but i don't know how it goes up and down and what
0: Don, uh, do you have know something instagram helpful here physical.
1: yeah so there's a couple yeah. of things so i'm i'm not an expert on instagram but i know a lot of the websites are doing this now or a lot of the apps are doing this so a couple of things i think one make sure whoever you brand yourself as you are at, on all of your online accounts so that they all link and make sure they're all linked because this will help you increase your traffic. The other thing I would say is if you don't have a website, you absolutely want to have a website because that way you can have people sign up to your website. So it won't matter if Facebook decides half your ads are getting through or Instagram shuts you down because you'll have that that contact list through your website where people can actually register and you have those email addresses. So that can be something that kind of combats the the apps attacking um, your job ads.
0: (laughs) And Lisa, thank you so much for calling in. And also um, to you and all of um, our fellow artists out there, one of the amazing things about LinkedIn, and this is true for all artists who are looking for work, is that it serves as an ambassador for you. It's your technological ambassador to explain to non-artists in terms that they can understand um, what you have to offer. So presenting yourself in that professional context, showing people that while you're magic genius are your creative abilities that you can communicate in a business context, can actually do a world of good for you, and bring you clients that you might not get otherwise. Um, so to every creative person out there, know that LinkedIn is your friend, and it is a powerful resource. Um, Don, would you agree?
1: I absolutely agree. Like I said, in a job search or not, LinkedIn is, is going to be a helpful asset.
0: Well, I have to say, I think our most helpful asset today has been Dawn herself. Oh, Lord,
1: you're, you're Dawn, so awesome. <laughs> I learned so
0: much. And it sounds like everybody from Brian to Michael to Lisa out there did as well. So thank you for joining us. My pleasure. For people who want to get more Dawn. Where do they find you?
1: Yes, yeah, so you can you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Dawn Graham, or you can sign up for my blog, dawnoncareers.com. dot Of course, you can listen to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel One Eleven,
0: where she'll take more of your calls mm-hmm. live. Also, for people who are dying to like sit down with Dawn on paper. When does your book come out?
1: So, my book comes out June 21st, yeah. and it's already on Amazon, so you can pre order.
0: Fantastic. And we'll certainly be talking about that more then. Thank you, all of you who listened today. Dawn, thank you for joining us. If you have a question about anything you heard on today's show, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And be sure to follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio111 and me at Laura Zarrow. A special thank you to Dawn, to Patty Hall, to my sound engineer, Tatiana Zamis. I'm Laura Zarro, and you've been listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, on Sirius XM 111.